Alrighty, church, if you have your Bibles, let's open those up to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 17 to 21 uh, as a jump off point for the sermon today for our Misconceptions About Christianity series. We've been running through this series for about five weeks now, and this is going to be our sixth, and I plan on having three more that we'll address throughout the month of September, and then we'll get back to our regularly scheduled program where we start going through the epistles of the New Testament uh, beginning in October. The misconception about Christianity that we're going to take a look at this morning is the idea that Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, this is an argument that people make often when they're trying to refute uh, the Christian claim of Jesus' divinity. Uh, the Christian faith believes that there is one God who is the creator of the universe, creator of, of all things. And according to the Bible, this one God exists in a Trinitarian nature in the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each one of these persons, they all have the same essence, they all have the same attributes, uh, but somehow there are three distinct persons who all have different roles in the upkeep of the universe. Now, when we talk about God the Son, we're referring to Jesus. The Bible reveals Jesus to be the second member of the Godhead. Uh, when humanity rebelled against God, Jesus is sent by the Father into creation so that he could restore the broken relationship between man and God. So when we sin, that relationship was broken. Jesus steps out of glory, out of heaven, into creation so that he could be our go-between to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And so as God, who put on humanity, Jesus steps into our reality and he lives the life that we should have lived, that was required, the perfected life that is required for a holy and righteous relationship with God. And then he goes to the cross. He takes on the wrath of God the Father for our sin. There he dies a brutal death, both physically and spiritually, as he's separated from the Father because he has our sin in his life. And then he is buried in a tomb where he stayed there for three days before being resurrected from the dead. And his resurrection shows that Satan was defeated in this process. Sin and death have been defeated forever, and we have victory in Christ. And now that the penalty for sin has been paid, everyone is offered the opportunity to be reconciled to the holy and righteous God by accepting the free gift of salvation where we exchange our sinfulness and we are given the gift of Christ's righteousness. And so if we will place our faith in Jesus, if we will bow our knee to him as our Lord, then we can have our sins forgiven and we can be restored in our relationship with God. This is the gospel. This is the good news. When Christians are talking about the gospel, this is what we are referring to. And one problem that many people have with the gospel is the idea that God came as a man and that man's name was Jesus. Right, many people will look at this and they say that's simply ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. It's not true. God couldn't and or wouldn't become a man. That's just not something that he would do. 
And to support that claim, they try to refute the Christian faith uh, by they peruse the, the pages of Scripture. They declare that Christians have made up the entire thing and that the entire, and the entire evidence that they use for this claim that they're offering up there is the fact that Jesus never says, I am God anywhere in the Gospels. Right, their argument is if Jesus is God on a divine rescue mission to save people from eternal damnation, you think he would have told somebody. Right, and technically, technically, they're not wrong. Right? In the Bible, Jesus never said the phrase, I am God. Not in the way that we translate it. Right? If you Google, did Jesus ever say, I am God, and all you're looking for is that exact phrase, then the answer is going to come back as no, because you cannot find those exact words coming from the mouth of Christ anywhere in the New Testament. But if you will read the Bible completely, if you will dive just a little bit deeper, you will see that Jesus did declare himself to be God a number of times, but he just didn't use the phrase, I am God. He says it in different ways, but he never says the phrase, I am God. And with each one of these misconceptions, I've tried to find a source passage that usually leads to the confusion. It's usually something that has been misinterpreted or mis misconstrued, either purposefully or by accident. And sometimes I find a very clear spot where it's just like, obviously, this is where this has gone wrong. Uh, but for this one, I didn't have anything to directly point to to say that this is obviously the issue where this is coming from. Uh, but if I were going to argue the fact that Jesus never claimed to be God, I personally would go to Jesus's interaction with the rich young ruler. We see that in several places, but Mark 10, 17 to 21 is where we're going to look at it to start off with this morning. And I, I just want you to know that this particular misconception allowed the Bible nerd to come out of me. I really enjoyed chasing this thing down because it bounces around a little bit and you gotta, y'all ever do connect the dots when you were younger, right? And you connect the dots and it created a picture. Well, we're gonna play connect the dots this morning and the passages that we're going to chase are on the back of your worship guide. And I would really like it if you would turn to some of those uh, because I want you to see what the Bible actually says here. Right? Because this is a fairly common misconception. It's fairly common and it's often, we can't really refute it without knowing the scriptures. And so I've given you everything that you need right in front of you to be able to refute this if someone were to say this to you. But you can't know it if you don't know where it is. And so there it is for you. So I would like for you to chase that with me this morning. Let's connect these dots and let's see where Jesus actually does claim to be God. Beginning in verse 17, Mark chapter 10, he says, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to, him, said to him, Teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. 
But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Now, at first glance, if you looked at this and you didn't know anything else about Scripture, if this is just you parachuting in, which I have warned us against over and over throughout this series, if we just parachuted in and landed here at this Scripture, this might look as though Jesus is deflecting the good descriptor from the rich young ruler because only God is good, and by not accepting that good descriptor, Jesus would be saying that He is not God. Does that make sense? And He says, why do you call me good? Because only God is good. So it seems like He's pushing that away because only God is good, and therefore because He's pushing it away, He's saying that He is not God. Right? That's not what Jesus is doing here. Right? What Jesus is doing here is he's pointing out that the rich young ruler only looks at Jesus as a teacher. Right? He thinks he is a good teacher, but still merely a teacher. Right? He definitely doesn't see Jesus as God at this point. I'm hoping, I'm praying that he come to that conclusion later in his life, maybe after Jesus rises from the dead. I'm hoping that he actually saw Jesus as God instead of just a good teacher. And, but when Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. If the rich young ruler had had a proper understanding of who Jesus is, then he would have said something like this in return. But you are God. And therefore, you are indeed good. That's why I've come to you for salvation. Right? If he really believed that Jesus was God, maybe a response like that would have come back to Jesus' response, but that's not what happens. The rich young ruler doesn't know the true nature of who Jesus is, and that is why he's not willing to give up everything that he has to follow Jesus. Now, he loves his stuff. His reaction shows what he really and truly worships. I mean, if you know Jesus, and I mean you really know Jesus, you don't just know about Jesus, but you know Jesus, then you're going to be willing to do whatever it takes to do what he's asked you to do. Whatever he's asked you to give up, whatever he's asked you to put down, you are going to be willing to do that the more you get to know Jesus. That's what the sanctification process does to us. We've, we're justified when we come to faith in Christ. That means we are not guilty before the holy and righteous God. And then the sanctification process is us becoming more and more like Christ every single day until we die or until he returns. And in that process, we love Jesus more. We love God more. And we move towards him and we move towards the people of God in, in a greater way. The more we understand, the closer we want to get. When we are more and more like Christ, we understand that the things of this world are not worth our worship. They're not worth sacrificing Jesus for. Only God is worth our worship. But at this point, as I said, the rich young ruler does not see Jesus as God. Right? Even if he did, at this point, something else has his heart. Something else has his affection He's not willing to give that up to follow Christ. It's just too precious to him at this point. Like I said, I hope that this changed. I hope that you know, a little bit later in life, he's going to see Jesus has died and resurrected from the dead. I hope that he sees and understands, hey, I, I met that guy. I understood very little at that point, but now I see that he really is truly 
God. And I hope that was enough to change his perspective. We just don't get to find out because this is the only place that he's mentioned in scriptures. But either way, though, maybe this is where some people would go to prove, prove that Jesus doesn't claim to be God. Right? To anyone that might say that, I would ask them to broaden their gaze. Right? Remember I said a little while ago that we could take one verse from Scripture, we can make it say anything we want. Right? I made it say that we shouldn't run because only evil people run when they're not being chased. Right? We talked about that. So if this is a proof text for someone that would say that Jesus never claimed to be God, I would ask for them to broaden their mind, broaden their gaze, and go just a layer or two deeper because you will see clearly what Jesus believed about himself and his relationship with God. And to show you that this morning, we're going to need some groundwork to be done from the Old Testament. And to do that, I want to look at Leviticus and I want to look at Exodus. Leviticus is the third book of the Bible. So go all the way to the beginning and just go a couple pages over. We're going to look at verses, uh, chapter 24, verses 13 to 16. So in Leviticus, what we find throughout that entire book are a ton of rules and regulations that reveal how God expected his people to live. All right? Do this sin, you do this sacrifice. If this happens, then you do this. What we're going to find there are, in this passage that we're looking at this morning, are the consequences of blasphemy. All right, blasphemy, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God or the act of claiming the attributes of a deity. That's how we define blasphemy. And blasphemy was a very serious offense among the Jews. Uh, and if someone was found to be doing or saying something blasphemous, they were sentenced to death. That's how seriously they took it. So let's read Leviticus 24 and see what the penalty was for blasphemy. We're going to begin in verse 13. We're going to read to verse 16. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Bring the one who has cursed to the outside of the camp, and all who heard him lay their hands on his head, then have the whole community stone him. And tell the Israelites, if anyone curses his God, he will bear the consequences of his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The whole community is to stone him. If he blasphemes the name, he is to be put to death, whether the resident alien or the native. All right, so... The penalty of saying or doing something blasphemous is being stoned to death. That means they hit you with rocks until you die. Keep that in mind as we continue. This is going to be important. This is foundation. So after looking at the consequences of blasphemy, I want to show you the first interaction between God and Moses that we find in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Just go left a little bit and you can run into Exodus. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 3. So in Exodus chapter 3, we're going to see Moses interacting with a burning bush that doesn't get consumed by fire. And this is where God first introduces him, himself to Moses. 
And as we're reading this, we're going to go one to, verses 1 to 14. I want you to really pay attention to verse 14. Okay? Exodus 3, 1 to 14. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush being burned up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because of the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt. He answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Verse 14, pay attention. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. All right. So we see that the penalty for blasphemy is death by being stoned. Right. Now we see here that in Exodus, God has revealed himself to Moses as the I am, as Yahweh. All right. So when he meet, when Moses meets God, he says, Go do the thing that I want you to do. Talk to Pharaoh. Get him to let my people go. And Moses says, well, why would it, the Israelites even listen to me? Like, they don't know me. Who should I say sent me to do this? And he says, tell them that Yahweh sent you. The I am sent you. All right, so from there, moving again, go to John chapter 8. Fourth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In John 8, verses 48 to 59, we see this. The Jews responded to, him, responded to him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you claim to be? If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. 
If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. Right, so you see why we went to Leviticus? You see why we went to Exodus? Right? Why are the Jews picking up stones? Right? They're going to throw them at Jesus in an attempt to kill him for committing blasphemy because he just stated that he was equal with God. Right, in verse 58, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, Yahweh. Jesus is saying that he is the same God that met Moses at the burning bush when the religious leaders hear him, they try to kill him with rocks. Did Jesus ever say that he was God? Yes, he did. And this isn't the only place. Like we're, we're, we're tracking, that's what we're, you've got a list of it and we're hitting them all. So actually we're not hitting, probably not all of them, but we're hitting a good, a good bit of them. We see another interesting I am statement. Stay in the book of John. Go to chapter 18. John chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. It says, After Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I am he, he responded. Judas, who betrayed, them, was also, who betrayed him, was also standing with him. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you, I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. What an interesting reaction we see here in John chapter 18. We've got Judas has betrayed Jesus. The religious leaders are coming to arrest him with soldiers. They arrest him or try to arrest him. And when they say, who are you looking for? And well, when he says, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And they fall back and fall to the ground. Like this is indicative of the time when Jesus returns and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He says, who are you looking? They say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, Yahweh, I am he. And there's power in these words. I mean, what I can't fathom after that happened to me continuing on with this process right if i'm there showing up to arrest the dude and he goes i am he and that causes me to step back and fall to the ground just from the power of his words i'm out nope you guys go on without me i got a stomach bug got something to take care of it takes 
a gutsy man to continue with this arrest when the guy tells you his name and, he, and you have to take a knee. But here again, Jesus gives the exact same name that God gave from the burning bush. I am. And I think we could probably stop there with the point being made, but I'm a pastor. I like to like, be to kick a dead horse, so let's keep going. I'm going to show you a few more instances that, that indicate that at least Jesus thinks that he's God. Right? I, w- I want to make this clear because I just want to point out that anybody that says this either hasn't read the Bible or doesn't understand it correctly or they're being intentionally deceptive. Those are the only options because it's all over the place. To continue on, let's look at another interaction with the religious leaders. This is also in the book of John, John chapter 10. John 10, verses 22 to 33. There John says, The festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews surrounded him and asked, How long are you planning to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, and you don't believe me, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? We're not stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than that. They want to kill him because he keeps equating himself with God. Jesus, again, drives religious leaders to try to kill him with rocks, and that's because he keeps saying, I am God, I am God. Hey, guys, I am God. God. The God is God is my Father, and we are one. Continuing on, also again in the book of John, chapter 5. Verses 16 to 18 says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And the last one that I want to look at, Matthew chapter 26 Verses 57 to 68. Actually, just for the sake of time, let's start at 63. But Jesus remained silent, so he's being accused by the chief priests, the high priest. It says, I charge you under the oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. 
And Jesus in verse 64 says, You have said so, but I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophecy to, uh, prophecy to us, Messiah, who hit you? And so over and over again through the Gospels, we see Jesus accused of blasphemy because he was making himself equal with God. Did he say, I am God? No, but yes. Right? Did he say, quote unquote, I am God? No, he didn't say those exact words in English, but I think it is abundantly clear that Jesus thought that he and God the Father were on the same level. He says it himself that the Father and I are one. Even if we take away everything that Jesus said about himself, he allowed people to worship him as he comes into the triumphal entry, comes into Jerusalem at the end of his life. Throughout his ministry, Jesus is constantly telling people, don't tell anyone who I am. Don't tell anyone what I did. But here, at the end of his life, as he's heading into Jerusalem, as he's going to be the perfect Passover lamb to die for your sins and mine, Jesus allows the people to shout praises of his worship. As I mentioned last week, even the angels wouldn't allow people to worship them. They would show up, they would either be scared to death or that people would worship, and they would say, no, 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 that we're created beings just like you. That's not for us. These people are worshiping Jesus, and he's going, yep, that's right. Bring it on. All right? When Jesus was told to make the people stop worshiping, he said that if the people were to stop, the rocks would start. All of creation worships God. He said if these people stop, the rocks will start. And Jesus absolutely thought that he was God and taught people that he was God and absolutely thought that he was worthy of people's worship. Now the question must be answered, though, is it true? Jesus thought he was God, thought he was equal with God, thought he was worthy of God's worship. But is it true? That's a different question, isn't it? Many people say no. Many people say that he wasn't God, couldn't possibly be God. He was just a good man and a good moral teacher. Uh, and they think the same way that the rich young ruler thinks. Or maybe he was just a prophet. Maybe a little more than a man. That's what the Muslims think. They think that he was God's favorite prophet. The thing is, though, that Jesus didn't leave us with the opportunity or the ability to believe that he was just a good guy or a prophet. There's a quote on your worship guide from C.S. Lewis, if you can read it, where our ink started to run out. I'm not sure if you can see it or not. There, C.S. Lewis speaks to this in this quote. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So C.S. Lewis is saying here that given what Jesus said and did, we cannot say that he was a good man or a teacher, or a good teacher, if he is not God. He's either crazy because he thinks he's God but isn't, or he's an evil liar because he's teaching people that he is God and he knows that it's not true, or he is God and should be worshipped as God. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Those are the only three options that Jesus has given us. Only God is good and Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God, what does that then mean for humanity? What does that mean for us? I've got three things that I want to point out. There are a whole lot more, but I want to point out three. Number one, if Jesus is God, then that means that he should be obeyed. If Jesus is God, then we should obey the commands that he has given to us. We should be going out and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is a command. We should be loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. That is a command. We should be loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. That is a command. If Jesus is God, then we should do what he has told us to do. These commands are not optional. Right? Oftentimes we walk through life as though, like, I mean, he said it, but he didn't really mean it. Really? That's not how this works. If Jesus is God, then it means that he should be obeyed. Number two, if Jesus is God, then all of his promises are true. Everything that he said that was going to happen will happen. This is why we should put all of our hope in him because he has promised that the next life, though this life might be filled with trouble and chaos and as much despair as, humanly, as we can humanly deal with, the next life will be abundantly better. And he says, live for that life. Don't live for this life. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths can destroy it, rust can destroy it, thieves can steal it. He says, save up for yourself treasures in heaven where nothing can take it away. We're supposed to, that obedience that we see in that first thing that I said, we do that to get treasure in heaven. So when we sacrifice in this life, when we look at what the world has to offer and we say, I don't want any of that, I want all of this, then we're saying that we believe that what Jesus has said is true and we're trusting in those promises. And lastly, if Jesus is God, then he is the only hope that we have for salvation. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? 
Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to salvation except through his life, death, and resurrection. We have seen several times here that he completely believes that he is God. If he is God, then his sacrifice was sufficient to cover all of your sin. It was sufficient to cover all of my sin. But we don't get to approach God on our own terms. We have to approach him through the blood of Christ. And that invitation is extended to all of us here today. If Jesus is God and you have not accepted that salvation, today is the day for your salvation. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to that truth. If you are here today and you believe that Jesus is God, I pray that you would also live out your life as though you believe it to be true. That you would bank on these promises that Christ has made. That we would be obedient in everything that he has told us to do. And when we are not obedient, that we would repent and get to the work that God has given us. So where do you fall on that spectrum? Are you pursuing after? You're sacrificing as you're called to sacrifice. You're giving as you're called to give. Doing what he has called you to do. Or are you there, but you're like, I don't know, can I, can I trust him? Yes, you can. You can trust him. He is God. He will do all that he said he will do. Or are you here today, and you are currently far from God? I pray that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. That your heart would be open to the truth. That you would see it, and want it, and need it. And that today would be the day of your salvation. Let's pray together. Father, it is my desire that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is indeed God. That he is indeed worthy of our praise. He's indeed worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our obedience. Lord, I pray that we would be people who are known for our pursuit of him. That we would be known for how we live our lives in light of what we see about Jesus in Scripture. Lord, help us to get out of our own way when we are unsure. I pray the Holy Spirit would convict our heart, that we would pray for forgiveness for the things that we put in the way of our proper worship, our, our proper obedience. And Lord, I pray today that the Holy Spirit would be working in our hearts. If anyone here does not know you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. I ask all of this in your son's precious name. Amen.